Our scripture passage for today comes from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would lick at the bronze serpent and live. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for being our God. We thank you for loving us, for guiding us, and bringing us here to worship you this day. Lord, Father, we just pray for our church, the members uh, who are all struggling and going through things, Lord Father. Especially this week, we just pray for the health and safety of all of our members. Help us to know that above all things, you are our God and you are in control of everything, O Lord. Please speak through me to, uh, to your people. May the words that flow from me be not my own, but yours flowing through me, O Lord. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, I've been on many mission trips. I started going on missions since the uh, summer after my freshman year in college. And I, I enjoy going because it allows me to grow closer to the members. It allows us to bond together and uh, share an experience with the church members that I go on these trips with. And one thing that I was saddened about uh, last year because of the coronavirus was that I couldn't, uh, we couldn't go on missions together last year and this year. And I hope that Perhaps next year, God willing, we'll be able to join together and go uh, on missions together. But when leading a missions team, there are many rules to follow, right? Rules to kind of keep the fellowship strong, rules on how to act, how to live, what to do. And one such rule that was ingrained in me when I was just a student going, and one thing that I ingrained into my uh, team members as a leader is do not complain. Yes, the great do not complain rule. Don't complain. I said I started going on missions when I was a, just a freshman in college. And you know, when you go to college, you get the taste of freedom, right? You're able to do so many things. Everything is at your disposal. You get to leave home. You get to stay out as late as you want. Sometimes you can skip class if you want. Our lives was a life of 24-hour drive-throughs and late-night snacks. And, you know, some of us, we experienced our first major parties in college. Now you take a group of these college, American college kids, and you put them into a third-world country. Well, you're bound to get complaints. When the comforts and the luxuries of back home are whisked away, even if people know what they're getting themselves into, it's hard for them to adjust. We should know the sacrifices that we're making when we go on missions, but it doesn't matter. After just a few days on the mission field, the do not complain rule gets broken. I'm hungry. I don't like this food. I'm thirsty. Why can't I shower? Why can't I go to sleep right now? And the biggest one of all, it's too hot. 
I have to admit that uh, I do, I'm not a big fan of intense heat either. And uh, especially the New York summers with the humidity, I don't really like it. You know, but in America, we get to go to places that has air conditioning so we can escape the heat. Not so much uh, when you go to some of these uh, countries on missions. The reason for the do not complain rule, though, is that when somebody starts speaking up and complaining about things, other people hear and they start joining in and they start complaining together and it makes rounds across the group. Even if everyone feels it's hot, even if they don't find the food that appetizing, if they're all just quiet, if they all just don't say anything, then that's the end of it. But once somebody starts voicing their opinion, then the floodgates open. You see, perhaps Moses should have also had a do not complain rule as he led the people out of Egypt into the wilderness because he had to deal with his fair share. In the beginning, the Israelites also were enjoying their freedom. They were no longer toiling under the hot sun and the rule of Egypt. But as time went by, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Even it's better for us to have died in Egypt having food than out here in this wilderness having nothing. The people were not grateful for what God was doing for them. The people spoke out against Moses and doing so they spoke out against God. They sinned and they were punished. But thankfully, God provided them a way out, a way to salvation. And for us too, we're just like the Israelites. We too sin and we too deserve punishment. And yet God gives us a way out. God loves us so much that he also offers us salvation. You can imagine what hearing constant complaints can do to someone. Think about it in your own life. You probably know somebody that complains a lot. It may be a, a family member. It might be a co-worker who just pretend, feels like they have the worst lot in life, that everything is going against them. You know, at first, you're, maybe you're able to put up with it. You smile and you try to encourage them. But after a while of constant complaints and complaints, you get fed up. You don't want to hear it anymore. But what if you were the person that provided everything to that one person that was complaining? Everything in life, you are the one that gave it to them. But they still whine about it. It gets tiring in your ear and you just may explode. Parents, we may deal with this type of issue at dinner time, right? We love our kids. We want the best for them. So we prepare a, a, an amazing meal, right? The right perfectly cooked meat, but also vegetables because we want them to be healthy, not too much salt. You take the time, you take the effort you, to provide a hearty, healthy meal and you place it before them and your kids see all the green and they say, ew, gross, I don't want this. They huff and they puff. It takes them 20 minutes to go through even just one bite. They say, why couldn't we just order pizza? I like pizza. I don't like this. And at first, you encourage them. It's good for you. Like I took so much time. It's healthy. It's good for your body. Just eat a little bit. Eat a little bit. 
After a while, you might even bribe them. If you finish your plate, I'll give you dessert, I'll give you ice cream, I'll give you canned cookies. But after a while, if they still don't eat it, if they still are huffing and puffing, you say, fine, don't eat anything. And you just take it away. The Israelites in our passage for today was also complaining. Complaining. Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 to 5 says, From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke out against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. In our passage, it tells us that the Israelites were leaving Mount Hor to go around Edom. You see, Edom was was an enemy uh, country of Israel, and though it was a bit easier if Israel went through Edom to get to their destination, Edom would not allow it. And so Israel had to take a longer route to go around Edom to reach their destination. But as they went, the people grew impatient. The travelness and the weariness of it all just caught up with them, and they started complaining. Last year, at the end of August, my family and I, we went on a road trip um, down south. We drove for a long time. You know, in the beginning, it's okay, but after an hour or two on the road, my kids would start complaining. How much longer? Are we there yet? Why is it taking so long? You know, I had the Google Maps on, and my sons could look at the time kind of going down and going down. And at first, I understood eight hours. That's a long drive, right? I can understand them complaining and, you know, not getting, getting bored and getting impatient. But when they continue to complain, when the time went down to one hour, 30 minutes left, it does get kind of frustrating. And they said, I want to go home. I'd rather be home. Home is the best place. I love home. Do you remember how many years the Israelites spent wandering the desert? 40 years. 40 years of wandering the desert. Do you know at what year during their journey our story for us today takes place? Most timelines and many scholars say that our story takes place right at the beginning of year 40. They were at the home stretch. They saw throughout the 39 years, the 40 years, that what God can do, the things that they overcame, the enemies they were able to overcome, the trials that they were able to overcome. They got food and water provided for them when asked, but they still complained. To Moses, yes, but not just Moses. No, 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 not just to Moses, but here to God himself. What made this complaint in Numbers 21 different from other instances, according to Dennis T. Olson, an Old Testament professor at Princeton is, they complained to God. See, Olson says, typically the people complained against Moses and sometimes Aaron, but rarely do they complain directly against God as they do here. So now it's not just complaints against their leader Moses, but to their very God. Why did you bring us here? There's no food, there's no water, and the food that you give us, it sucks, it's horrible. And all this protest didn't sit well with the Lord. And God finally says, you don't like the food that I give you? You don't like to 
buy into the manna that I provided for you? Then how about some snakes buy into you? The people complained. They sinned against God, and now they would receive their punishment. Numbers 21 verse 6 tells us the punishment that they were to receive. And it says, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. The complaints, the sins of the people brought upon them punishment, which was death. Our sins too. We deserve punishment for our sins, which is also death. See, God sends forth these venomous snakes or fiery snakes, as it says in our passage, and they bite the people and many of them perished. Now, I heard that those who get bit by venomous snakes go through excruciating pain. It causes swelling, tissue damage, convulsions. And here we see the snakes described as fiery because their bites caused a burning sensation that led to a quick death. The people having, having received the judgment and seeing their fellow, fellow people die horrible deaths, they came to Moses in verse 7 and confessed their sins. Numbers chapter 21 verse 7 says, And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The people came and confessed their sins. They apologized for speaking out against God and Moses and asked Moses to pray for them, to save them. Many scholars believe that unlike the other times that Israel sinned on the wilderness, that this was a genuine confession. You see, in Numbers chapter 14, the same phrase, we have sinned, is used. In Numbers chapter 13, spies were sent out into Canaan from Israel to see if they could take the land. And Joshua and Caleb came back and gave a good report that with God's help, they will be able to take this land. But 10 other spies came and they gave a bad report and they, they incited the crowd to kind of go against this plan. And in Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 to 2, it says this, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? The people complained in, in Numbers chapter 14. But you can see a difference from that complaint and the complaint for our main passage for today, which is that in Numbers 14, they complained and grumbled only against Moses and Aaron and not God himself. But at that time too, Moses and Aaron intercedes for the people. And God has the spies killed by a plague. And the people then in verse 40 says the same phrase, we have sinned. We have sinned. But instead of waiting on the Lord, they took up arms and went to battle themselves without the blessing of, of God, without the blessings of Moses. And they were killed. So the confession in Numbers 14 was shallow. There was no change in the way that they would obey God and follow His every commands. But here, they confessed to Moses their sin, that they sinned against the Lord and asked for help. They recognized their sin and genuinely confessed. We too, whenever we sin, need to recognize it and genuinely come before our Lord and confess. And when Israel confessed, God brought them deliverance. 
but the deliverance wasn't in the way that the people expected, nor in the way that they asked. Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 through 9 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. What was the prayer request of the people to get them out of this situation? It was, take the serpents away. But God didn't do that. Now think about this. God sent serpents to judge the people. The people were bitten and they started dying. All God had to do to uh, remedy this situation is to just take the snakes away. Then no one would get bitten and no one would die. But but God doesn't do that. Rather, God has Moses make a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole. And if anyone was bitten, all they had to do was lick at the pole, the bronze serpent on the pole, and they would live. The means of their punishment, the mechanism for their death, has now become a means and a symbol for their salvation. As easily as God sent the snakes to punish the people, he could have gotten rid of them to bring them peace and salvation. But God wanted to go to the deeper sin of the people. He wanted them to trust in him. That whatever pain, whatever circumstance that they go through, that they all just need to look to him for their salvation. He didn't want people to just confess and move on, but wanted them to continually be reminded about the power and the grace of God that was shown to them. And remember that healing and restoration and life comes from God and God alone. So the people will continually be bit, but if they just looked up at the bronze serpent that was lifted high, then they would be saved. This is the character of God. Even though people complain and about their circumstances to God, to the point where they would grumble and speak out against God himself, God still shows them mercy and love, compassion, and gives them a way out. It's the same for us today. For we have all sinned. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We continue to live a life of sin every day. And we deserve to be condemned and judged. We probably do a lot worse than just grumble and complain against God. Yet God, for our sake, lifted something else on a pole. That if we turn our gaze to that thing, we would live. Something else that was lifted up that if we look at it, something greater than a bronze serpent something that doesn't just save us from this life, but gives us life eternal. God sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to hang on a pole, a cross, to die for us, to wash away our sins, to make us whole again, to reunite us with God, and to bring us into eternity with the Lord. Jesus' cross hung on this pole, so that whoever turned and looked at him, just as the Israelites turned and looked at the bronze serpent in the desert, would be saved. Just as the Israelites gained life through the bronze snake on the pole, we have gained life through the humble king on the cross. As much as the cross was a mechanism for the death of Jesus, the cross 
it becomes a means of life for us. Last week was Passion Week. Last week we remembered Jesus' death uh, on Good Friday, his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And we need to hold on to the cross. We need to remember the cross daily. Look to the cross, not just during the season of Easter where we're constantly reminded to, but every day of our lives. Continue to look to the cross because the cross is what saves. It's what gives us life. It is what is of the utmost importance. C.J. Mahaney, a pastor at Sovereign Grace Church in Louisville, Kentucky, says this. He says, if we as Christians have already become if we as Christians have already come to believe in the gospel, if we've already received the gift of salvation he purchased for us with his precious blood, why focus any longer on the cross? Isn't it time to give our full attention to more mature matters of living our faith? Nope. Pastor Mahaney is saying that once people believe in the gospel, they think that the cross is no longer this uh, important thing that they need to focus their life on. Rather, they try and they read scripture to find out tips on how to live the Christian life here on earth. They think, okay, I understood the cross. Now, how do I live this Christian life? But Mahaney, Pastor Mahaney is saying, no, the cross is still important. You don't graduate from that and move on. The cross is where everything is centered, where our Christian faith is centered. C.J. Mahaney goes on to say, the cross and its meaning aren't something we ever master. This cross is something that we all know so well, something that we've all seen in so many different places that I think it doesn't really move us anymore. It doesn't stir our hearts, nor does it elicit emotion. And Pastor Mahaney is saying, that we can never truly master the meaning of the cross and grasp the deep importance of it. Thus, we need to continually, continually keep our focus on it. So don't move on from the cross. The cross is what we need to focus on. This cross is what we need to look on. Just as the bronze serpent brought healing and life to the Israelites in the deserts, it is the cross that of our Lord Jesus Christ that our Savior hung on, that's lifted up, that we need to look to, to bring, receive life and healing in the world that we live in now. Jesus, our Savior, said as much with his own words. In John chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, Jesus says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the son of man, Jesus, had to be lifted up. And he must be lifted up so that those who look on him will have eternal life. That's the gospel message, right? Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection brings us all who believe into eternity with God the Father. John Piper says of this connection between the bronze serpent and Jesus, this is what it says. Jesus in place of the snake is the source of healing, the source of rescue from the poison of sin and the wrath of God. In becoming like the snake, he was the embodiment of our sin and the embodiment of our curse. 
And in becoming sin and curse for us, he took ours away. When our sin and God's wrath are taken away, God is for us totally. And if God is for us, we will never die, but live forever with him in joy. Believe in him. What does that mean? What does it involve? What in this comparison with the snake on the pole does believe in him mean? It means look to him. The grace of the new birth is our seeing Christ lifted up. John Piper is saying that all the Israelites had to do in the desert to be saved was to look at the bronze serpent that was lifted up. And all you have to do is look at Jesus Christ who is lifted up. Believe in him means to look to him. And that may sound so simple, right? Just looking. It's simple, right? To every day turn your gaze on Christ and to be moved and changed by it. And so if it's so simple, I implore you, my brothers and sisters, to look at the cross. And I hope you focus your eyes on our Savior there. We all sin. We all fail. We are all bitten by the deadly venom of sin in this wilderness of the fallen world. If God takes temptations and trials and tribulations away, it will be so easy. That's what the Israelites asked for. Just take these snakes away. And we ask the same thing. Just take this pain away. Just take these tribulations away. But God doesn't do that. He didn't do it for the Israelites and He's not going to do it for us. But just as He gave the Israelites a way to be saved, God gives us a way to overcome and be saved as well. Look to the cross. Charles Spurgeon, a famous English pastor, has such a way with words that people would come to his worship services to hear his, his uh, prayers as much as to listen to his sermons, shared his testimony on how he came to faith. And Spurgeon shared that when he was 16 years old, he was on his way to church, but there was a, a great snowstorm. So instead of going to the church that he regularly goes to, he just turned to a side street and just went into a church that he saw. And he called it, in his own words, a primitive Methodist church. He went there, he said that, uh, there's maybe like 12, at most 15 people in, in, in the chapel. He said the preacher didn't even make it out that day. And so somebody from the congregation stood up, perhaps an elder or whoever it may be, and went, and went to the lectern and spoke. And that person spoke uh, from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, which says, Look unto me, and ye be, be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. And Spurgeon shares this story of how this message changed his life and brought him into a relationship with God. And this is a long story that I'm going to share, but I hope you listen carefully um, to it. He says this, The preacher began thus, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now looking, don't, deal, don't take a deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. Many of you are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You will never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, look to Him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Some of you says, we must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business 
with that just now, look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. Look unto me, I am sweating in great drops of blood. Look unto me, I am hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me, look unto me. And Spurgeon said at that moment, the preacher then looked directly at him, maybe because he was new and there wasn't that many people. And he said, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, you have nothing to do but to look and live. And Spurgeon goes on to say that right at that moment, he was changed, he was touched, and reflected on that day saying, I saw at once the way of salvation. I know not what else he said. I did not take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought. Like as when the brazen serpent was lifted up, the people only looked and were healed. So it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard the word look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment I saw the sun and I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. Spurgeon was moved by the word that was repeated that day by the one who spoke. Look, look, look. My brothers and sisters of NCF and friends and family who might be just joining, newcomers joining for the first time. Do not look to anything else for answers, for healing, for peace and for rescue in your life. Look only to the cross. Look only to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look to the cross. Look to Jesus and be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, we just thank you so much for being our God. We thank you for providing so much for us. And Lord, we live this life and we sin and we complain about our lot. Lord, forgive us for failing to see your goodness. Help us always, O oh Lord, to turn to the cross and look upon it, the greatest gift you've given us, your Son, Jesus Christ, hanging there. Help us, O oh Lord, to be ever moved each moment of our lives and touched by it. Be with us, guide us, and help us, O oh Lord, to know you more and more each day. Help us to be focused on that dear cross. In your son Christ's name we pray. Amen.